0: Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, certified life and fertility coach, and you're listening to the Fertility Check. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is almost never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. Today's guest, Ali Prado, is one of my favorite humans on earth, though we've never actually met IRL in real life. She is an incredible advocate for the infertility community, bringing articulation, thoughts, feelings, words to secondary infertility in a way that before I met her, I had not heard from many people. She's also the creator with her business partner, Blair Nelson, of Fertility Rally, which is, as they coin it, worst club, best members, and it is. It's infertility warriors in a group setting, supporting each other and sharing information. Before Allie became the fertility warrior that she is, she was an incredible writer. She's still an incredible writer, but she has lots of fun stories to tell. Let's just say Playboy was involved, The Hef was involved, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Here's Allie. Welcome to you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. What is going on? Well, you and I share a lot of things in common. We have some Midwestern roots. We've both been through the trenches of infertility. We both have a boy and a girl on the other side. Yes. We both can't believe our children are actually here. Every day. Every day. And I know you've told your story so many times, but for our audience, let us know how you became the host of Infertile AF, Amazing Infertility Mm -hmm. Podcast. What led you there? And then we'll go backwards from there.
1: Okay. So I had my daughter when I was on the cusp of turning 35, unassisted, no. That word natural, always like, I don't know, it's Hate weird, it, weird right? But without it. good reproductive technology. I had a fairly decent pregnancy with her. I did have placenta previa, so that meant that I had to have a scheduled C-section. I didn't really know anything about my fertility or pregnancy. All I knew was a lot of my friends Had had kids. You know, we we started a little bit later. My husband and I went to high school together and our high school sweethearts, but dated other people in college. We always have to give that caveat because it sounds so nerdy to say that we were together since we were 16. So had sex with other people, basically is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) But when we got married, we were in our late 20s, and then right before I turned 30, we moved. I worked at Playboy magazine at the time and we moved from Chicago, where we'd been living most of our lives to New York. And I got transferred because the magazine was changing its headquarters from Chicago to New York. So we came here and we didn't know anybody. Our friends in Chicago had started having babies kind of right before we moved. And we were like, we can't have babies. We don't have any friends. We don't even know how to take the subway. So that <laughs> really delayed child you know, making season for several years. And I do think had we not waited or never moved I think it would be a totally different story and I wouldn't even probably know you or be talking about you because the gist of my infertility stuff was age related so anyway I did have my daughter when I was 34 about to turn 35 and then we waited a couple years before we tried again because I hadn't had any issues getting pregnant with her thankfully and you know around 38 37 and a half 38 we were like well okay now we have some friends we know how to use the subway the daughter seems to be good and I actually really really really, really loved being a mom more than I ever thought I would. I mean, I I always thought that I would be a mom and I thought I would like it, but I felt like it just opened up this part of me that I never knew existed. And I wanted more kids so, so, so badly.
0: What did you feel like you recognized in yourself that you loved at that time that you didn't know it existed?
1: Just a deeper love than I had ever felt before. Like my daughter was the best thing hands down that had ever happened to us. And I just loved everything about being a mom. I wanted to spend every minute with her. I loved all of it. I'm not saying it was all, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs. It was hard, of course, but I just really, and I, and honestly, I think I felt like I was okay, like kind of good at it, you know, like for her at least. I was a yeah. good mom to her. So I was like, let's do this again. And it was just something I never really knew if I would be good at and that I would like so much.
0: Did you go back to work after you had her or did you mm-hmm. decide to stay home? No, okay. I did. I went back to
1: work. I believe I was freelancing at this point. So I was working, I had a more flexible schedule and I was working from home. Anyway, so we started trying for baby number two and didn't think there would be an issue. And I did get pregnant a few months after we started trying. And then I had a uh, miscarriage. We could go on and on about this, but long story short, I had four miscarriages. Before I'm sorry. we ended up, thank you, babe. Before we ended up going to reproductive endocrinologist, who's Dr. Joshua Klein. When I had the first miscarriage, I was devastated, of course, but I kind of felt like it was a rite of passage. Like I was like, so many of mm. my friends, more than 50% of my friends probably had had one miscarriage. And I was like, it's terrible. It's so sad. I never want to invalidate somebody's grief around that, including my own. But it was kind of like, okay, but this isn't really a problem yet. But then number two, number three, number four, and I will say, you know, they were all within the first trimester. And again, you and I have talked about this so much, Abby. It's never like the grief Olympics. So it doesn't mean that it was less painful because it was earlier. But I know it's, a, it's just a different kind of loss than when you're later down the line. So I just want to... Yeah. Say for anybody listening, a loss is a loss, in my opinion. The term chemical pregnancy, when people are like, oh, it's just a chemical pregnancy. To me, it's still a huge loss. You lost that child. You lost the dream of who that would have been. So
0: The dream. Before you have children and you're dreaming of your family, that's a dream that you hold in your head. But then when you start actively trying and you get a positive pregnancy test we can't help but go to like, what crib will I get? Where will they, what room will it look like? Our family pictures next year are going to look like this. Yes. And so when you have that loss, however early you are mourning the dream that you just created in your head, let alone the bigger dream that you had. Yeah. earlier. Earlier. Right. So, you know,
1: after the loss number four, I was so depressed. I was just devastated. And I had a lot of people around me, great friends and family but I did not have a community in the infertility. I didn't have people who were going through exactly what I was going through. So that's foreshadowing to say why I created the podcast Infertility Rally, but I was so alone and I just felt so sad. And I started feeling really insecure, like what's wrong with my body? You know, all the feelings that we all have as women going through something like this. You know, I finally got this recommendation for a doctor and I went and saw him and he made me feel really great about things. I had just turned, I think I was like about to turn 40. And he said, you're actually the perfect candidate for IVF. And I, this is so embarrassing. I didn't even really know what IVF was. Yeah. I thought it was for people that wanted like multiple children. Yeah, right. Who really did. I didn't realize I that it was a must for so many people and the only way for so many people. And I was kind of like, okay. And he explained to me, my issue was low quality eggs. And he equated that to my age. He's like, when you turn 35, the quality starts to diminish and you've actually got a really good reserve. Like I had a lot of eggs, but he's like, but what's been happening is you've been having these chromosomal defects and that's why you've had the losses. And if we can find the right egg and put it with your husband's sperm, you should be good to go. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And that was kind of how it was. Now, you know, we can talk about this too, if you want to, but Vince, my husband and I were not on the same page about this. Let's he, talk about it. He had seen me. So the, the four losses occurred over two and a half, three. I fr- it's so funny. You forget the timeline, you know, like it's, Yeah. I guess it was three to four years all in, you know, since we started to try. And he didn't like seeing me as kind of a shell of myself because I really was depressed And I had been on trying all these things from all the woo woo stuff to like acupuncture and going all these appointments and drinking all the herbs and, you know, going to a psychic and lighting these magic wish papers, and just like laser focused on wanting this baby. And he also wanted a second child, but he did not have the desire or the need, the guttural like need like I did. He's an only child of two only Mm -hmm. children. And he was kind of like, if everything works out where we just have ever, our daughter, like he's like, I'm good to go.
0: I'm curious your opinion just, and we'll get more into how you are an amazing advocate within this community, but I find with secondary infertility specifically, it is so often the case that the woman cannot let it go. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. And the man is like, yeah, this is what it turns out to, it's okay. And I'm just Mm -hmm. so curious, I rarely hear of men. I mean, it might be that we don't hear of men who are pushing their wives to have more because they know when enough is enough. But Mm -hmm. I'm just so curious from knowing all the women that you know, even within the secondary Mm -hmm. infertility community space, if you feel like that is the pattern and maybe having gone through it, if you can speak to why.
1: I agree with you. I don't really know why, but I'm guessing that maybe it's just because I'm more connected to the women. So I hear their side of it more than the men. Like I'm sure that there are men out there who want yes. that second child just as badly. You're right. I haven't come across them personally. But with my husband in particular, he was just kind of like, I don't like seeing you like this. I don't like seeing you so sad. And I remember saying to him, "Like, I wish I didn't want this so badly, but I can't not want it. And that was such right. a like, profound moment for me because it was like my head and my heart were in two different places as well. Like It was like, I know that if I stop you know, going down this road, I'm going to be okay. And we're going to have a beautiful life, but I couldn't do it. And I I also was like, I feel like I'm really fucking up my marriage too, actually. Yes. But it was like, I couldn't stop. I just didn't want to, and I couldn't. And I felt like there was another baby out there that was like, I needed to be that baby's mom.
0: And I think that when that window isn't fully closed, it's impossible not to want to open it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, you can't let go like that. Just that little bit of possibility. You know, if somebody had said, "This is over for you," like you're done, it's, done. it's yeah. different than like, "Well, we might be able to do this, and we might right. be able to do that." Right? Yeah.
1: But one of the other big hurdles that I'm totally open. You know, I've talked about this a yeah. lot. Is financial. We didn't yeah. have any coverage. This was all going to be out of pocket. And frankly, my husband was like, "I don't really want to fork out forty thousand dollars or whatever it's going to be with all the meds and you know all the things for one round of IVF." You know, like what if it yeah. doesn't work? And I was like, "But what if it does?" And that was where, where we kept butting heads. Where I was like, "I can't believe you're putting a dollar sign on this potential future child." And we just were not seeing eye to eye. We ended up having to borrow money from both of our parents. And, you know, that was the only reason we were able to do it. But after... I remember there was this really dark summer where I... Right before I started actually going through the treatment, because I'd seen the doctor, he didn't even go with me. He was like, now it's not happening. Then he went to see the doctor without me and came back and was like, it's like a used car salesman, not my doctor in particular, but just like when they roll out the financial stuff they yeah. like, well, if you want to get this tested, you have to do this. And he felt like they just kept adding on things and it didn't seem transparent. And he just felt like it felt icky to him. And I, he's told his side of the story too, actually, on my podcast, yeah. the 100th episode, which is interesting to hear you know, what he was going through mentally. But for me, it was like, fuck you. All you care about is the money. And yes. to me, this is like a potential future baby. So we were... I mean, not to be dramatic, but I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. Yeah. So we were like yeah. on the verge of splitting up. And I remember one time I was like, are we going to make it? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, oh my God. So just yeah. to you know, put in perspective how this can wreak such havoc on a marriage. And yes. you know, it wasn't even that we were going through round after round. We hadn't even started treatment yet.
0: Yeah. It was the yeah. getting
1: to agree to go through treatment for us that was so, so hard. Yeah. And I don't mean he's a wonderful guy. I don't mean to paint a picture and he wanted it. But you know, just being honest, like it was really, really hard. And there were some moments where I was like, this is bleak as fuck.
0: Yeah. So you finally did get on the
1: same page. We did. We finally agreed that we were going to do one round and that was it. And I was going to therapy as well, concurrently, because obviously. My head was in the gutter and the darkest place ever. So I had a great therapist and she actually got me to the point where she was saying, if you guys are a family of three, it's going to be okay. And I was kind of ready to embrace that fact. So I was like, okay, if it doesn't work and we're a family of three, then we are going to be okay. And it's going to be a beautiful life. But that back of my head was kind of like, Mm -hmm. but I still really, really want this. I still really want it. So... We did end up doing one round of IVF in early 2015, and it worked. Mm. We did the PGT testing. I had five embryos sent off for testing. One came back normal. The other four were abnormal. So we had one shot. It was like literally a Hail Mary. I did my transfer April 1st, 2015, and I did get pregnant with my son, who is now seven. So, yes. it's like, such a miracle! And you said before, we still can't believe our kids are here, and I still can't believe it worked. Especially Abby, now knowing people like you yeah. and all the women in fertility rally and community at large, who the odds of it happening on the first round are are low. Like,
0: I right, I think it's, it's around sixty five percent of first transfers fail. Something like very high.
1: Yeah, you're definitely on the yeah. wrong side of the statistics. Um, yes. Yes. So, and I didn't realize, again, like this is how much I've learned since then. I, I knew I was lucky and I was obviously so elated, but it wasn't until later that I was like, holy shit, that was yeah. very rare that that yes. worked.
0: Yes. So I tried lucky
1: doctor and my, you know, the medical team and, you know, magic and all the things I think every... The wish
0: paper, the, the wish papers, I, you know, I love it all.
1: me ...that were rooting for me and the yeah. whole cycle instructor Noah at the time yes. was like holding me in his heart, you know, like, I feel like all those things came together and we did get really, really lucky.
0: So this is something that people said to me along the way. Once you have your family, you'll forget how you got here. Mm. Obviously for you and I, we're so entrenched in this community and this world we didn't forget. But I think about the losses. Do you feel like you hold them dear still? Do you feel like, what do you think about them now? That's
1: such a good question. And I don't think I've ever been asked that before, Abby. Damn, you're good. good. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, You just see my long list. I know.
1: I think I do think about the journey like at large. I don't think about like we didn't name all those babies you know we didn't this is just a personal thing i mean i think when people do that it's absolutely wonderful and people grieve the way that they grieve i definitely am thankful because i feel like had i not gone through all those losses I wouldn't have my son that i have today and I be, wouldn't be here and yeah. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing and meeting incredible people like you and every, you know, the thousands yeah. of other people I've met. So, right. you know, I th- I do think about that a lot. I don't yeah. think about each baby in particular. Yeah. But, you know, you do wonder, you know, yeah. what, wow, I would have had a baby at that, you know, you see friends that were pregnant at the same time as you were, you yes. have a loss. And you're like, that's oh, my right. You would have been that age. My baby would have right. been starting first grade. You know, people... Yes.
0: My a lot of that. My
1: seven years apart in school. Yeah. Yeah. I know people when they're like, oh, you have a 13-year-old daughter too. Or I know they're like, wait, what? Yeah. And I always want to be like, yeah, it, this was not by design. You know? Like, yeah. We yeah. have four losses in between. But Do people like, ask you about it? Not really. I get like weird looks sometimes. Where it's like they're doing the math in their head. Yeah, like they're like, interesting. You waited so long to have a second kid, you know? But I'm hoping now... I feel like that was less even like a couple of years ago. I think now that people are talking about this more, maybe when you're talking to someone and you're like, okay, maybe they had a child pass away or they had some right. infertility in there. I think that maybe they know better now. They know better. You yeah. Think?
0: I do think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so impossible for me to say that objectively because the minute I'm like, Oh, you've been married seven years, no children, is that a choice? I mean, you know, all the things that we from our trauma of course, I think it, um, but I would never say it out loud. Right, and I know, especially with secondary infertility, I feel like so many people tell me that everyone's like, "Well, when are you going to give little ever a little brother or sister?" Yeah. I made that person Southern because I feel it comes more from a traditional family. I don't know why, which like, I think of the South, but it's not just traditional families. Like a lot of people say those kinds of things. And I know that's really hard for mothers struggling with secondary infertility. Did you have yeah. any of that or were people pretty good about it?
1: People in my immediate circle knew that I was trying because I was pretty open about it. So I didn't have that from like friends or family members so much, but every once in a while, you know, you'd be at like the grocery store or somewhere random and like, yeah. oh, she would make a really good big sister. And you want to be like, I'm fucking working on it. You yeah. know, like you want to yeah. say something, but... I think most people are just coming from a good place of course you always have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Totally. Um, but the other thing about secondary infertility that if you want to talk about there's like a guilt involved too because you do yes. get and I did get some of this. I did get some of can't you just be happy with what yeah. you have? Yeah. And yeah. that just like cuts so deep because it was like the way that I've tried to explain it and I don't know even know if this is sufficient but it's like, it's not that I don't have enough or it's not that I don't love her enough or I'm not happy enough with just her. It's that I love her so much I want more of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's like yes. because of her, I want yeah, enough. Of her want because more. I love this experience and love her so much. So I don't know if that makes sense to people who aren't. It
0: does. In It does. And I actually don't hear it articulated that way very often. I often hear more what we were talking about earlier, which is that I just can't give up on that dream family that I created and you shouldn't have to, but people are like, I thought we'd have the 2.5 kids. I can't let go of that vision. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's really hard, especially this podcast in particular. And we'll get to this is so much about like career and family balance. I can say for me personally, you know, I've done a million things in terms of work, but like pursuing my acting career when it wasn't going how I wanted it to, I was like, all right, well, being a mom is going to be great too. And so when that also wasn't going when I wanted it to, it felt like, am I cut out to be successful in any piece of what I've set out for? And I think it's confounded for me with the acting thing, but I think for so many women, it is like this vision that you have from early on of what your family's going to look like. Why should you let go of that?
1: Mm, That's you so know? interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying before, I never really had the goal of like the X amount of kids. It was right. like once that box was opened and the love started pouring out, I was like, I want more. I want more. I love, I love that. I, you know, that's where yeah. it for me.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your work. Well, let's get into, so I'm sorry, I like keep cutting you. Let's get no, back know, into I'm how you interested. ended up <laughs> into the fertility community. And then I actually yeah. want to talk about your other life as a writer and, and how they co-mingle. Yeah.
1: Okay. The first question you said was, how did I end up with this podcast? Basically, which, so, you know, the, all of this that we've been talking about for the past 24 yes. minutes or whatever is yes. to say, that <laughs> I started in AF when Sonny was three and a half years old. And it was because I had set out to write a book about going through IVF because at the time, again, this is, you know, 2015, it's almost 10 years ago. There really weren't that many books out there. I remember yes. specifically going to Barnes and Noble, And looking for like miscarriage books or like fertility books. And the section was like two inches wide. And I'm like, where are all these books? You know, because I'm like a researcher, you know, I need content. And I couldn't find anything. So I was like, well, I'll write one myself. So I started a book proposal and I wrote a few chapters and I was shopping it around publishers and stuff. And the the line that I kept getting was like, These books don't sell. Like the right, this is great, you know, the writing's good you know it's entertaining and all that but like we're not going to make any money on this from these are from the big publishers and maybe if it were different like at the time I would have like self, just self published it anyway but I didn't want to do that and I was so bummed yeah. out. I was like why why does this not sell? There's millions yeah. of people going through this. So anyway, I shelved, pun intended, the book idea and somebody at, I was working in copywriting at the time and they were like, why do you start a podcast? Like you love podcasts. I remember I had just done an interview for Rolling Stone magazine with somebody and was like coming back from the interview and I was like, oh, I love interviewing people. And then it was like, oh, duh, do it for, you know, a fertility podcast and tell your story and then do other people's stories. So that's how the idea was born. And thankfully, I had some really wonderful people that helped me get it off the ground. People that already had their own podcasts that were just like, do this, use this, you know, gave me all the gist of it, what microphone to use and what platform to use. <laughs> and my
0: they didn't tell you which headphones to use. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not the one that just popped out of my ear. Um, yeah. And the best part about it was I didn't need anybody to green light it. It was just like, just do it. Just make it. Yes. Out into the world. And that was such an empowering feeling. Yes. I'm actually so glad that the book didn't happen because the podcast has been so much better than I ever would have thought. So basically, I started it in March 2019, four years ago this month. And I started by telling my own story. Because I was like, if I want people to get real and raw, and you've been on it,
0: you know. Yep. I um, know. You know there's Love no- it. I listen every week. I listen religiously. You oh, know that.
1: So sweet. You do. Thank you. I do appreciate that. But I was like, I have to tell my own story with no bullshit. Like, I just have to be totally honest. The good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassing, you know, the stuff that makes me look like a jerk. I told it all because I was like, Uh let's just be real here. And also I was like, if you don't tell the truth and you try for something long term, you're gonna end up telling different stories along the way. Totally.
0: Good point. I have to
1: just come out of the gate and be yeah. like, here it all is, guys. Love totally. It. So that's what happened. And you know, I I started, you know, basically just telling stories of people that went through their their family building journeys using assisted reproductive technology. So it's not just infertility, it's people that went through adoption or, you know, same-sex couples, single parents by choice, all of that fit under the umbrella. Of the show, and it's been great. And I just recorded another episode today, and the 215th comes out tomorrow. So I was just um, gonna
0: say, I think you're over 200 now, which is amazing. Yeah,
1: almost a million downloads. It's like in about a month, I think I'll hit a million global downloads, which is just really Allie. amazing. You know, not, I'm not Have saying you- I'm amazing, I just, I mean, it's just amazing. Well- that-
0: it, it's amazing, it? but yeah, like, but you also are amazing. But when you hit that million, I'm sure you'll publicize. But please make sure we know about it. Yeah, I, mean, like, yeah, I will. I yeah. guess I'll have a martini in your honor <laughs> if you if you're going to force me to. <laughs> well, cool. um, to this summer. That's right. That's right. You definitely will. So this is how Infertile AF came about, and then I know Blair found you. That's your. <laughs> Your business partner at Fertility Rally, okay. she found you from your podcast, right?
1: She did. She sent me an email because she was she had just had a miscarriage and she had just joined the infertility community and Instagram and all that. She sent me an email to be offered to be on my show, and she was my eighth episode. And you know, we just really hit it off, and we started talking about how this community is so amazing, and we should plan an event, and you know, let's do something. So that's how we came up with the name of Fertility Rally. We were going to do like an IRL event in Brooklyn. In October yes. 2020. October,
0: I remember.
1: We had menu booked. We were starting to line up our speakers. We were going to do, you know, the whole thing, and then you know the world shut down, as everybody knows, and we had to pivot. So we started doing these online, just Zoom like happy hours. It's like, you know, come join us, talk about what you're going through. If you're going through infertility, you're going through treatment, have a drink or a mocktail, you know, whatever you want, and that's how it started. You know, we started doing these Zoom calls and they just kind of grew and grew and we said god there's definitely a need for this so we did those for a couple of months and then in june of 2020 we launched the fertility rally membership which is what we have today and it's a community we've got you know various support groups throughout the week We've got IRL events. We have a whole website full of content. We do. We still do Fertility Rally Live, which is what we ended up changing the name to twice a year. So our next one is in April, and it's just become this really safe space where people can come and meet other people who get it. And you know, we've got over five hundred active members right now. But over since we launched, we probably had like two thousand people come through the doors you know, people leave because they have babies or they stop pursuing treatment or whatever. Obviously, there's some turnover as with any membership, but everybody who's been a part of it is always going to be part of the Fertility Rally family. And we're just so grateful that we met each other and we've been able to to start this thing. We have our actually a big support group every Wednesday night. So we have one tonight.
0: Oh my gosh, what a day for
1: you. Yeah. You're a part so, of it too, Abby. So thank you for always being a part of it and speaking Oh my gosh. About things, I, hosting our groups. And, you know, it's people like you that really, truly want to help people. And that's why I, I really, be,
0: truly do. Yeah. And we say this all the time. I wish it had been there when I was going through it. I would have been mm-hmm. like number one member, you know? Totally. That's, yeah. That's yeah. what I always say is this is the place I wish I had when, when I was going yeah. through it exactly. So, after all of this, where does your writing fit into life now? Talk to me about sort of what your career goals were when you were 18, sleeping with other people, you and Vinnie were on a break, you're having the college life. Mm-hmm. Tell me like what was that vision and like how does I, it compare?
1: <laughs> I always wanted to work in magazines and thankfully I did get to do that for, you know, about two decades. I started working at Playboy magazine right out of college. I was a journalism major. I wrote them a letter. I wrote Hugh Hefner a letter when I was getting ready to graduate because Playboy was based in Chicago and that's where I was going to live. You know, most of the magazines were in New York at that time and still are the ones that are still around. But I wrote him a letter and I had won like this Hugh Hefner magazine scholarship at my school because he went to the same college as me. And I was like, I won your scholarship. Do you guys have interns? And I'll never forget my roommate, Michelle, I lived with eight other girls in this big house on campus and my roommate, like one day we were getting ready to go to the bars or something. And she's like, Do you hefners on the phone for you? And I was like, What? Stop. (laughs) Yes. And this is like Email was just starting out. Like we did not have iPhones. We did not have cell phones. This is the '90s, guys. So he called my landline at school and in my house. Oh my god! It was his assistant, Mary, and I got on the phone. She's like, "Hello, dear. I've got your letter, and he'd love for you to come in for an interview." And I was like, "What?
0: (laughs) Oh my god! I love it." So
1: that's how that happened. It's so crazy to think about it now. Like that, I had the balls to do it, and that he got actually got the letter and. It didn't get lost in the shuffle, you know, like it's amazing again, like one of those lucky turn of events, but I was supposed to, I did go in interview and I ended up getting hired as an intern and it was supposed to be a six month internship. And I stayed there for 10 years.
0: Oh my God, just at Playboy. So at that point you were just exclusively to Playboy. Yeah,
1: so I worked for Playboy for 10 years and I was their music editor and their college editor and just edited features and wrote some of the Playboy 20Qs and interviews and all that stuff. So I just fell in love with, you know, and it it does all come full circle, Abby, because it's like, I always just wanted to tell stories. That's what I ever wanted to do. I wanted to write about people and share stories and people's experiences. And that's
0: basically the same thing I'm doing today, just a totally different subject matter. <laughs> no, totally. But I think that's such an important point that I also talk about all the time, even from an acting perspective, like when I'm acting or writing, I just want to make an impact on people and allow them to feel more comforted more seen maybe laugh a little yes and that's the same that I want to do with my infertility coaching and it's just a much more direct way to do it now right? right and like you know you're making an impact as opposed to putting an article out and hoping for the best mm-hmm. exactly you know? exactly because yeah. by the way you've also said to me in private like one day I have to write a book about play when I worked at Playboy and I, I just know. want you to know I would buy that book. <laughs> Big time. There's
1: Big time. so many, so many good stories. Yes. Yeah. When I, I see can only remember, imagine. I'll tell you all of them. Okay. Okay. So it was, so it was fun. There-
0: for yeah. 10 years and worked, then did you go freelance from there? Yeah,
1: so during that time was when we had tra- I got transferred to New York, which I talked about at the beginning of the show. Um yeah. So I did end up where all these other magazines were. So after 10 years, I was like, I feel like I've kind kind of done it all here. There's a lot of other opportunities here in New York, so I started looking around for other jobs. And then I worked at a series of other, you know, magazines and then ended up going freelance and it just kind of continued writing about mostly like celebrity cover stories for, you know, magazines like Harper's Bazaar and Vogue and Page Six Magazine and Maxim and Rolling Stone and blah, 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 blah. So it was it's it was fun. It was really and fun. And do you
0: still I mean, because I think I don't think of you in any other way as like being uh Complete badass for this community, but I know you do still write. So,
1: a little bit, it, it's definitely yeah. slowed down. Part of it is just because there's not as many outlets anymore. You know, I mean, I was like in the magazine heyday when there were so many magazines and it was so fun and there were so many people out there doing sto- writing stories and stuff. You know, now the like iconic ones have s- withstood the test of time. Yeah. Rolling Stone is still around in vogue and you know, all that people. But, you know, there's just not as many places to do it. And I don't really want to do other kinds of writing. I'm just, I'd rather just focus on the rally and the podcast. So I do, you know, every once in a while I do freelance assignments here and there. If something cool comes up or, you know, I'm consulting on a job for somebody else right now, but it's just kind of, this has become so much more of my passion. Mm. And like, that's all I want to spend my time doing is this stuff. And I love bit, that. You know?
0: When you became a mom, did you feel like a pressure to write about mom things?
1: Mm, no, I didn't really.
0: Yeah, I don't feel like, I mean, I know I said
1: before that I felt like I was a good mom, but like I'm, I felt like I was a good mom forever for my yeah. dad things ever. Yeah forever. not like And forever. And forever. But not like a good mom, like I should be doling out advice because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So no, I like reading stuff like that. And I appreciate people who are able to do that, but I never felt like that was my expertise at all. Interesting.
0: And so I guess let's talk a little bit, pretend this is a work interview. Allison, where do you see yourself in five years? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, but, (laughs) But where... I mean, in your dream world, what does your life look like when you're managing all of this?
1: Okay. I'll start with Fertility Rally. We always say that we want Fertility Rally to be, or I say this, I don't want to put words in Blair's mouth, but the (laughs) Weight Watchers of Fertility. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We want to be something that is a household name that goes hand in hand with people who are having fertility issues. Just like Weight Watchers, you know, you join it for a little while and it helps you through a hard time and then you leave or you come back or whatever. Like, I would love that to be the case where we had meetings all day, every day around the world, both IRL and virtual. I truly just want to reach as many people as we can through that group and through that community. And then with the podcast, same as I'm doing now, just I've always tried to do a really mix of like really big names and girls that email me that aren't on social media and just have an interesting story to tell. It's it's been all about diversity. So yeah. I just want to keep that going. And but, you know, obviously get the word out. I will say I've put this out in the universe before. I really want Michelle Obama to come on my
0: show. <laughs> okay. We're putting, we're manifesting it.
1: <laughs> She's my dream guest. You know, she went through IVF for Malia and Sasha, I believe. But, you know, just people like that that I think are interesting to talk to. And I would love for this to legitimately become like my full-time. Hustle and have it be a thing and have staff and funding and all that stuff. But now it's, you know, it's a lot and it's, it's good.
0: And your amazing husband, do you guys talk about the infertility still ever, or do you ever compare, like, I think the depths, the deepest, darkest depths of my marriage happened during that time. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure it could have gotten worse. And so if something gets really bad again, I'm like, is this as bad as it was then or no? Like I can't help but compare it to that time.
1: That's such a good question. We It doesn't really come up that much. I mean, this is such a part of our lives now that like- Now, you know, yeah. Kids it, hear me talking about doing these interviews all the time or, you know, like right. so infertility. Oh, I just wrote a children's book too. I yes, was I wasn't that. sure if
0: you wanted to talk about yes. that. Well, you know, oh. well, I have an
1: illustrator that is reading the manuscript and, you know, hopefully that we'll move forward together and, and it's about IVF it is
0: it's about okay
1: it, it is it's about assisted reproductive technology in yes. general
0: yes that has
1: been a goal is when the other book didn't happen i was like i really want to write a book that can explain this to kids so yeah. that will be self published cuz i'm not going to wait for somebody to give me the go ahead i've learned yes. my lesson yes. with that that's so that's going to be this year come hell or high water but the point of that is you know just keep being creative i just want to keep being creative and collaborating with people like you and Getting together and trying to like lift people up and empower people. And just if I've learned anything, it's that like I'm no good alone. I need my pack. Like I need my crew. Mm-hmm. I need my community. So I just want to keep being a part of this world and trying to lift up the people behind us who might be coming into this totally clueless I and mean, just giving them a hand and being like, it's okay. You're not alone. We always say this is the worst club with yes. the best members and the people really, yes. really The people here are so wonderful and everybody just wants to help each other. And it's pretty great.
0: I love it. I feel like you sort of, my last question was going to be, is there any like saying, cliche, inspiration, like something that you think about all the time or live by, but you kind of, I mean, I know worst club, best members is a big one. I I don my Worst Club Best Member sweatshirt all the time. I love it. Well, I slept in it from Friday to Sunday in my COVID period. So I (laughs) I did decide to wash it this time. Um,
1: We um, did have a member who was going through treatment and wore it to every treatment and was like, I'm not yeah, for good luck. And she's like, I'm not washing it. She's like, it smells like shit. There's ice cream spilled on it. <laughs> you know, my like, you know, she's like, everybody around me is like, get away, you're disgusting. But she's like, I'm not washing it. I'm not washing it. I
0: love and it. She actually I love did it. it. Oh my god, it's all the sweatshirt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Any other amazing words you live by?
1: Well, you're amazing. I just want to put that out there. So oh, I love you. Thank you. Me. I think the last thing I'll say is just that if anybody is listening to this and is struggling, please reach out to, you know, me or Abby or anybody. I'll just put you out there, Abby. <laughs> no, but I Thank know you. you're so Thank super you accessible yeah. because the worst part of this is just feeling totally isolated And even just have somebody that you can like cut through all the crap with and be like, you can say, I met my sister's baby and I hated every minute of it. And we're like, I get that. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. You can say that to us, you know? So things like that.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly.
0: Amazing. Well, I love you. I love you. As you you know. And I can't wait to see you in person soon. Thank you. Thank you for being here. All of your information will be linked in our show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Isn't she just one of those women you want to sit and have a martini with and just listen to all of her stories? In fairness, I think I feel that way about most people, but with Allie, like, I will move mountains to make that happen. And I do hope it happens pretty soon. We did get a question this week. It was a very general question, but I am going to address it. It was from Emily S., in Vermont and it said thinking back about your own personal cycle what would you have done differently and there are just so that's such a loaded question there are so many things which is why I'm now a fertility coach because all those things I would have done differently I now try to help other people do differently but the one thing that I will tell you from literally everyone I know that's been through some kind of painful infertility journey is that I wish they would have started sooner and I feel the same way time is not a renewable resource and nothing is more blatantly obvious when you're going through infertility. I think everything takes longer than you want it to. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. And even if you don't want to do treatment, just get the information and have all the meetings so that you're choosing your own timeline to start and you're not just waiting for other things to happen. That would be my biggest tip on that. And we can get more into that at some other point about my own story. If you or anyone you know is struggling through infertility, please have them reach out to me. They can DM me on Instagram at the fertility chick, at Abby Feeder, or at Encircle Fertility, or check out my website, encirclefertility.com. No one should have to go through it alone. And the reason we all do this is because everyone should learn from our mistakes. I hope you guys have an incredible week, and I can't wait to talk to you next week.